Well, good morning and a really happy Easter from me to you. Wasn't that animation fun? I feel like I should say hello this morning in the style of that animation Uh Uh, from me and a happy Easter to you. Hasn't it been great this morning to be able to worship together? So grateful to Claire and to Andrew this morning for having the courage to lead our worship live. Not an easy thing to do uh, this morning, but what a great thing to be able to celebrate in this way on Easter Day. Well, in our Easter teaching series so far, as we've been journeying through 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we've already thought about two themes that are central to our faith as Christians. Two weeks ago, Kay helped us think about being dead and buried. Not ourselves, of course, about Jesus being dead and buried. Last weekend, we were thinking about the theme of Jesus being alive and risen. And this weekend, we get to our final theme, which is all about Jesus who is ascended and reigning. Now, the order of the different stopping points along the way of this journey have been really important because you can't have the latter without first achieving the former. Jesus cannot be alive and risen if he hasn't first descended and lived and then been dead and buried. But Jesus can't be ascended and reigning if he hadn't been first alive and risen. You know, there's nothing more central, is there, than to to the gospel than the cross of Jesus Christ. But the cross doesn't stand on its own in isolation. It only has saving significance in conjunction with these other three events, the resurrection, the ascension, and the ultimate enthronement, or we might say the reign of Jesus Christ. If you take any one of those elements out of the equation, then the whole structure of our redemption or of our rescuing of ourselves from sin absolutely collapses. If there was no resurrection, then the atonement is redundant. If there's no ascension, then redeemed humanity is abandoned to a a sin-cursed world. If there's no enthronement, if there's no reign of Christ ultimately, then Jesus lacks the authority to save. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul is dealing with each of these themes before implicitly bringing up the theme that we have for today. And what we end up with is something of a paradox. What we end up with is an incredibly complex theological mystery. In fact, it's a mystery that's so complicated that we'll never fully understand it or grasp it. And yet, too, we discover an incredibly simple, in some ways, message for us to grasp. Now, my hope this morning on this Easter day is that we'll begin to unearth some of the application of all that Paul is saying today implicitly about Jesus being ascended and reigning. But before we do that, we do need to tackle at least one additional thing that Paul says in our text today, which is 1 Corinthians 15, the latter section, if you want to look it up. We need to tackle some things he says about the resurrection, which in a sense was actually our theme from last weekend. Now, last weekend, if you were with us, I said that the resurrection gives us at least four things. It gives us love, it gives us life, it gives us hope, and it gives us power. And it's one outworking of that fourth theme, the power theme, which I spoke about last weekend, that Paul goes on to elaborate about this weekend. And he speaks about a resurrection body. I wonder if you've ever wondered what your body will look like when you get to heaven. What will your resurrection body be like? Will you be size 10 or size 12? Will you be short or will you be tall? Will you have a fine head of hair like mine or will you be bold? Will you be size 7 feet or will you have size 10 feet? Contact lenses, glasses or 20-20 vision? Wrinkles or no wrinkles? 
Well, throughout my ministry, this question has come up, not in the trivial way, of course, that I've just described it, but people do genuinely wrestle with big questions on this theme, like, will I be some sort of ghost? Or maybe I'll come back and I'll be like an angel. Will I even recognize myself when I look in the mirror? Or when I look in the mirror, will I simply look at myself and be able to see right through myself to the other side? Well, it's encouraging to know, I think, that 2,000 years ago, some Christians in Corinth were wrestling with exactly the same question. In verse 35 of our text this morning in 1 Corinthians, it says this, But some will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? In other words, what will my resurrection body be like? Well, like us, the Christians in Corinth couldn't imagine what a resurrected body would be like. And of course, that's not unreasonable since they, like us, have never seen one, let alone been one. So Paul explains to them all about this resurrection body that believers will receive. Now, he doesn't share a diagram with them. I kind of wish that he had, but he does share a word picture, which most of us will be able to understand. He says to them in verse 36, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. What you sow will not come to life unless it dies. And then he goes on in verses 37 to 38 to describe the life cycle of a plant. Let's read those verses together. Paul says this, When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives it his own body. So until a seed is buried in the ground, it simply cannot and will not germinate and grow. Paul says, and so it is with the resurrection. Before you or I can rise with a resurrection body, we must first die. First there's death, then there's burial, and then there's resurrection. And we live our earthly lives, don't we, in something of a sometimes painful reality. Everything that's born into this world one day will die. It will perish. And death, we could say, is the end of all things. But, Paul says, to the Christian, to those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, death actually is not the end. Death is a necessary prerequisite to the resurrection. Door, we could say this morning, uh, a death, we could say rather this morning, is a doorway into heaven. And in a sense, this is Paul's big theme in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And Paul is saying, look, this is the journey that Jesus took, and this is the journey that one day we too will take. Death, then burial, but thankfully, thanks to Jesus, resurrection with a resurrection, or we could say a heavenly body. In verses 39 to 41, Paul goes on to give a few more illustrations from creation to make his point. But then he arrives at verse 42. Listen to what he says. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. Let's jump down to verse 50. And then Paul makes this great declaration. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. 
Listen, I tell you a mystery. There you go. It's a mystery. I said it was. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. It's a promise. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your sting? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So let's go back to our question, what will my resurrection body be like? Well, Paul doesn't exactly answer the question in the kind of detail that we might like. But he does state pretty clearly that something amazing happens. The perishable will become imperishable. That which is dishonorable will become glorious. That which is weak will one day be raised in power. That which is natural will one day become fully spiritual. Paul says what is dead will be buried and it will come to life. The seed buried in the ground will burst into fullness and in the twinkling of an eye will be changed into something even more and eternally glorious. So what can we say with absolute certainty? Well, what we can say is this. We will not enter the kingdom of God with our present decaying bodies, but we will enter the kingdom of God with a brand new body. It will be a cancer-free body. It will be a COVID-free environment. There'll be no MS. There'll be no ME. It will be depression-free, arthritis-free, arthritis-free, asthma-free. That's the kind of body that we are going to be given. Now, I guess there's so much more that could be said on this theme, but in a sense, that's just finishing off where we left off last weekend. The resurrection and the resurrection body is Paul's big explicit theme here. But two, there's another implicit theme which really completes Jesus's journey through this holy week. It's Jesus's ascension, which as we saw in that little video clip, comes 40 days after the events that we remember today. I don't know if you noticed in the scripture reading that Katie and Sue read to us the words of Mary, or what Jesus said to Mary, rather, in John chapter 20. Just as a quick aside here, uh, there's a really good reason why Mary didn't recognize Jesus. It's because the, the body that Jesus emerged from the two men was a body that belonged in the world to come. That tells us something, doesn't it, about the resurrection body. When Mary does, however, realize that it is the resurrected Jesus in the garden with her, she runs towards Jesus and she's crying, teacher, teacher. And Jesus says this to her, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. You know, it seems to me there's something really important here in what Jesus is saying to Mary. Jesus knew for certain that the resurrection was not the end of his journey. He knew that there was yet another stop in this journey, which was his ascension. That moment when he would leave the earth to go to be at the right hand of his father. 
We sometimes sing, don't we? You came from heaven to earth to show the way, from earth to the cross, my debt to pay, from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky, Lord, I lift your name on high. A song that tells the story of the different stops in Jesus's journey. If you look ahead into Acts chapter 1, Luke records the eyewitness testimony of what happened on the day of Jesus' ascension. Eleven of the disciples are there and they witness Jesus, having just heard Jesus promise that I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to empower you and equip you and resource you for the mission and the life that I'm calling you to. All of a sudden, Jesus just vanishes right in front of them. It sounds a little bit, doesn't it, like Superman flying off into space. What a strange event. What a shocking, what a a confusing moment for these disciples. But two, this is a moment which changes everything for the disciples and for us. As you read on through uh, the book of Acts, you discover everything changes as a consequence of this moment. You see, the ascension isn't mostly about what Jesus was leaving, but it's more about where he was going and why he was going there. The ascension was Jesus returning back home, back to his father, back where he dwelt from uh, throughout all of eternity up to that point when he came to the earth at Christmas time, back to that place where he would experience God in all of his fullness and uh, with all of his glorious love. Only this time as Jesus goes back to heaven, he's going back with the keys of death in his nail-scarred hands. Just imagine what the welcoming party was like in heaven in that moment as Jesus returned. The ascension wasn't simply Jesus going home, though. This was about Jesus going back to be enthroned, back to the place where he would reign for the rest of eternity. Scripture repeatedly speaks of the ascension ending with Jesus being seated at the right hand of the Father, And we need to know that this was no ordinary seat. This was the seat of power. This was the seat of authority. This was the seat, this was the place where somebody would reign for the rest of eternity. As Jesus said to the church in Laodicea, I conquered and I sat down with my father on his throne in Revelation 3, 21. I achieved something and then I came back and I sat down with my father in the place of authority. You see, the ascension actually is about much more than just the next step in Jesus's journey. In fact, it's nothing less than Jesus returning to his rightful place at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. The ascension, if you like, is something much more akin to a coronation that puts Jesus eternally back in the place where he belongs. It's the place of executive power. It's the place of authority. It's the place from where he'll reign forever as Lord of Lords and as King of Kings. The Apostle Place in another place from 1 Corinthians 15 puts it so brilliantly. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, Paul says this, Therefore God has exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Aren't those verses brilliant? In fact, I think they're some of my most favorite verses in the whole of Scripture. Of course, what comes before those verses is all about the suffering. It's always all about the death of Jesus. But then we get to this bit in those Scriptures where Paul says, and Jesus is now back at that place where every knee shall bow. It's the highest place that a person can possibly be. 
No wonder is it that various theologians describe the ascension as the great linchpin of Christ's saving work. Without this linchpin, in a sense, we could say the wheels would fall off of our salvation. The one whose appearance and true identity here on earth was obscured and became marred almost beyond recognition through his incarnation and then through that brutal crucifixion is now risen and uh, is alive and is now back in his rightful place as the King of Kings and the Savior of the world at the right hand of the Father. Now, I don't know what all of that means for you, but I do know for me that that means I feel confident, I feel strong in knowing that I'm in relationship with the name that's above every other name, that the King of Kings has invited me to come into his presence. Here is our King, here is our Lord directing all things for people's good, providing for their needs, protecting us from evil, and ultimately conquering death and sin. But even greater still is the fact that Jesus' in, enthronement gives us our warrant for our faith. He alone he is the one who has the authority to save. He alone is the one who says, would you join me in this mission? Would you share this good news with others and tell them about all that I've done? You see, in Jesus and because of Jesus' enthronement, we find our ultimate hope. There's one other little detail that surely can't be overlooked in application. And it's that Christ's enthronement means our enthronement too. Now, maybe that sentence sounds wrong and it sounds strange, but Christ's enthronement means our enthronement too. Paul says to the Christians in Ephesus this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, And God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. He's raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Christ restores, in a sense, our true dignity, our true authority as human beings, as it was before the fall. Christ make, makes right all that that Adam mucked up. Paul speaks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as well. From his throne, Jesus equips us for his service in this world. He prepares us for the perfection that's to come in the life that's ahead of us, just as he promised he would. So we've been on a journey over these weeks through different stages of celebration and different stages of reflection. And there's no doubt that the cross has been central to the message of the gospel as we've looked at each of these stop-off points, but it simply doesn't stand alone. It's only as we follow Jesus through the cross to the empty tomb, to the cloud of glory, to the throne of heaven, that we start to see the much fuller picture that the gospel paints and the ultimate hope, which is ours in Christ Jesus. As I have the privilege of wrapping up this sermon series this morning, I simply want to ask you this morning, do you know this Jesus who we're describing? Have you come to know Christ as Lord and Saviour? Can you say with confidence this morning, I know that Jesus died. I know that Jesus came back to life. I know that Jesus is risen and he's ascended and he's reigning right now. And the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, invites me, little old me, into relationship with him. What a privilege.
There's no greater privilege than a human being can find. And I wonder this morning, do you know this risen Lord Jesus Christ? I want to lead us just in a prayer this morning. It's a really simple prayer. And if you've known Christ for years and years, maybe all of your life, I want to encourage you this morning to take this prayer as a recommitment to Jesus on this Easter day, on 2021. Why not? But it might be this morning for the first time that you want to choose Jesus to be your Lord and Saviour. That just something of all of my ramblings this morning, our ramblings over the last few weeks have made some kind of sense. And you think today's the day. Easter Day 2021, when I put my trust in Jesus for the first time. Let's pray together. And I'd encourage you just to echo this prayer. Maybe if you're with somebody else, you can do it in the quietness of your own heart or out loud if you want to. Or if you're on your own, why don't you just speak out these words? And as you speak them, no one else on this earth might hear you, but God hears you. The one who's seated at the right hand of the Father, Jesus will hear you. And there'll be a great celebration in heaven. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much this morning that the gospel is good news, that the gospel tells the the journey of Jesus, tells the story of Jesus, and it's an incredible story of the perfect death, the perfect life, but Lord, too, that Jesus didn't stay dead, but he came back to life and he's risen and ascended. Lord, Jesus has made a way for us. And you say so clearly in your word that nobody can come into relationship with the Father unless it's through your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, just in these moments, we want to pray just such a simple prayer, a prayer of commitment again or perhaps for the first time. Just affirming you to be Lord and Saviour, the one in whom we're putting our hope. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus. I choose you today as my Lord and Saviour. I'm trusting in your death. I'm trusting in your resurrection that you conquered the grave. I'm trusted that you are ascended and reigning right now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus, would you take all of my sin and all of my brokenness And give to me complete forgiveness, the forgiveness you promise. Jesus, I choose to follow you for the first time or again as my Lord and my Saviour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I wonder today if you've prayed that prayer for the first time, whether you'd let us know. We'd love to journey with you to help you know Uh, how to move forward in this relationship with Jesus. It might be today that you've prayed that prayer afresh, having perhaps let things slip a bit in your relationship with God over recent months or even years. Why don't you let us know again that you've prayed that? All of the contact information is on the different platforms that you're watching on today. Well, it's Easter Day, and if there's a favourite hymn in the church, especially on Easter Day, it's the one we're about to sing together now. And I encourage you to join in enthusiastically with it. Thine be the glory, risen, conquering Son. Endless is the victory thou over death has won.
Hallelujah, Jesus to you. Jesus is alive. I wonder what that means for you, Chris asked in his uh, sermon just now. I wonder what it means for you. O ultimate hope that we have because Jesus is alive, not only alive, but ascended and reigning. And we can know him for ourselves. Maybe if you have responded for the first time, as, as Chris said, then do get in touch with us. We'd love to uh, share more with you about this wonderful risen Lord Jesus that we know and follow. We're going to uh, meet together now on Zoom Connect. Do join us if you can. Uh, click on the Zoom link and join us just for a few minutes. Maybe we'll answer that question as Claire did for us as well this morning. What does it mean for you that Jesus is risen uh, this morning? And also remind you, do join us on YouTube and support Ruth at seven o'clock and then at nine o'clock this evening we're gathering on Zoom again for our very final scripture reading um, from this week of a whole week now of um, a whole week since we met and uh, began our journey to the cross and now we're the other side thinking about Jesus ascended and reigning as we meet for the last time at nine o'clock this evening so I'd like to close now our service together with a blessing